Please turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're going to be looking at the third chapter this evening. Last week we had a break from our series in 1 Thessalonians as we were blessed to have Pastor Andy Young from Oxford bring God's Word to us from Acts chapter 12. And so if you have been keeping track of our series, you will note that there is a slight skip in the beat here. Next week, Brad Bailey will be preaching to us from the very end, excuse me, of chapter 2. But I am charged with the task of bringing to you chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. That no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain." But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as, long as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? As we pray most earnestly, night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Lord, we ask this evening that you would lift our hearts with your word. That each of us who are weary would be strengthened. Each of us who are discouraged would be heartened. Each of us who long to see you would be comforted. We pray this evening, Lord, that the Lord Jesus Christ would be all in all for us. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen.
Have you ever been overwhelmed with feelings of discouragement? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because for the Christian, there is an incredible reticence to admit that we can be discouraged. Because after all, we think Christians are always supposed to be confident in the Lord, always supposed to know what is coming, always to be ready for any challenge to come. Discouragement is for other people, not for Christians, not for strong Christians, certainly not for us. This evening as we look at this text, I want to show you that discouragement happens to Christians. It even happens to the Apostle Paul. And Paul is able to deal with that discouragement. He is not overwhelmed because he looks to the work of God around him. His discouragement with circumstances is lightened. The darkness is dispelled by seeing that God is truly at work and a blessing to his people. And so this evening as we go through this text in relative thirds, the first five verses we will see Paul fighting discouragement. And we'll see how Paul fights discouragement and how that can serve as a model to you and to me. And then in the second third of this chapter, we find Paul seeing God at work. He sees what God is doing and it heartens him. And then finally, in the last portion of this chapter, Paul is spurred onward and upward to work for the Lord. And he spurs us onward as we see the Lord at work. Fighting discouragement, seeing God at work, and being spurred onward and upward. Let's begin then by looking at the first five verses and seeing how Paul deals with discouragement. It is, I think, a truism, if we're honest with ourselves, that life can be a heavy burden for anyone. And here, even the Apostle Paul. It is a cliche, but it is very true that life is not perfect. As a matter of fact, oftentimes, life can be downright challenging and difficult. We battle illnesses and financial difficulties and strained relationships. And we are concerned about what is going on in the world around us. We're concerned for the state of the church and the advancement of the gospel. And there are so many things that can hem us in. And Paul understands that. I've said this to you before, but it bears repeating. When we come to the scriptures, we ought not to look at the people in the Bible as some sort of magical Bible people who are unlike us who are not tempted by the things we're tempted by, who are not challenged by the things we're challenged by. And Paul gives us a very clear picture here. Look with me at verse 1. He says, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer. Paul's saying, I'm at the end of my rope. I don't know what to do. I had to be left behind in Athens, and I had to send Timothy to you so I could find out how you were doing. I, I couldn't bear it any longer. My anxiety was taking me over. And this is not a, a, a statement without meaning from Paul. Because you'll see if you look down just a few verses. He repeats himself in verse 5. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith. 
There is a concern here that Paul has for the Thessalonians. And this is something that we must understand is a real challenge in the Christian life. You see, the closer the relationship, the greater the anxiety and the difficulty. When we have acquaintances that are going through a difficult time, it affects us. And I hope we pray for them. When we have friends or co-workers that have challenges in front of them, again, it affects us and I hope we pray for them. But when our sons and daughters, when our wives and husbands, when our fathers and mothers are facing real challenges, that's when it hits home. That's when we pace the floor. That's when we can't sleep. That's when we go to the Psalms and try to find solace. And that's where Paul is right here. Discouragement had come to him because he was concerned for the Thessalonians. He knew that persecution was coming and he had heard that it had come. And he knew it was a young church. Remember, we go back to the very beginning of this letter. This was a very young church that Paul had planted. They didn't have time to establish leadership and Paul was thrust out of the city by attacks. He didn't know if this church was going to survive. And remember... Paul doesn't text them. How are you? Heart emoji. He doesn't try to FaceTime them. I hope you're doing well. Come on, get the congregation together and let me see them. No, he is off in the distance. Days travel away, wondering what's happening to them, perhaps fearing the worst. Discouragement has come upon him. You see, his concern for them has caused this problem. Paul says, we were willing to be left alone so that we could know how you were. Now, this is, I think, an important point because anxiety often pulls us inward. Discouragement also often causes us to cut ourselves off from others. We go into our room. We're by ourselves. Some of you even lock the door so no one can come in. You turn off the light. You lay in the bed and you wonder what's going to happen. And you run through all of the scenarios. And oftentimes it's the worst cases that come through your mind. But do you see what Paul does here? Paul doesn't say, get it together. Christians aren't ever discouraged. No, he says, I was discouraged and my response is to look to others. It's to go outside myself. It's to serve others. That's the biblical and Christian response to anxiety and discouragement. What is your response to your fears? Is it to trust God? Is it to look for God at work in others? Is it to see God blessing his people? Because that is the way we deal with discouragement. That is what gives us hope. That is what pushes us on. Now, the anxiety and the discouragement presses in hardest when you actually know the dangers that are at hand. I know that there are children who are afraid of the monster under the bed, who's not there. And that could be a real fear and anxiety. But in the end, it's not substantive. It's those who actually know what could happen and the problems of the world who are most discouraged and anxious. 
So, for example, when teens go out and are out late at night, who's anxious? Who's discouraged when they come home? Is it the teens? Of course not. Because if I can put it this way, young people haven't lived long enough to hear all of the stories of what can go wrong. It's mom and dad that are pacing. Not because they don't trust you, but because they know all the stories. They've heard of other people, of the bad things that can happen. And when we know that trouble is out there, anxiety can cling to us. That's what Paul has been saying. Paul has been continually telling the Thessalonians, there are dangers out there. You need to be serious. He says, you know the afflictions were coming to pass in verse 4. You've seen them just as you know them. And Paul could have said to them, let me tell you about Antioch. Let me tell you about Athens. Let me tell you about Philippi. Let me tell you about all the places I've been and the persecution and the affliction that comes. You, young church, may not realize it, but the enemy is after you. He hates God's work. And so... Paul is so serious about this, he's so knowledgeable about this, that he sends Timothy to them. Now, this shows us that Paul, even in his discouragement, is motivated to action. It seemed to Paul that the time was short. We see in verse 4, When we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. And just as it is now come to pass... Paul knew affliction was coming, and now it had come to pass, and now he is afraid for them. For this reason, I couldn't bear it any longer, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. You see, we think about Paul as this impassive apostle, who was never moved by anything, never concerned, never phased, marching right along to his orders. But his concern here shows that he likely lost sleep over what was going on in Thessalonica. He loved this church. He loved these people. He was motivated to act out of love for them. And even at the detriment of his own ministry, he sent Timothy to them. Yes, to check on them and to see how they were doing, but to encourage them, to equip them. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever been motivated by such a concern? You're concerned for your children or your grandchildren or your siblings or friends. Have you been motivated by that concern to reach out to them, to help them, to serve them? Because, you see, that's the Christian response. If we can say that the Bible tells us not to worry, and that's true, the Bible doesn't tell us not to be concerned, to think of others, and to act and be motivated because of that. Paul sought to establish and exhort them. That's why he sent Timothy, to build them up. Now, Paul could have acted in anger. He could have said, you silly Thessalonians. I told you this was coming. You know, I don't think you ever listened to me. Why aren't you ready for this? Why aren't you giving me reports? Why aren't you prepared for this? What are you doing? 
But that's not what he does. He wants to see this church firmly planted. He wants to see them comforted. He doesn't want to put them on trial. He wants to be comforted in his discouragement. And the best way to be comforted in discouragement is to see God at work. That's what we see in verses 6 through 10 of our passage. Paul writes, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love. Now, this is a very interesting formulation that Paul makes. Perhaps you've already caught a glimpse of it in the English. Paul says that Timothy has brought the good news of their faith and love. And yes, good news there is gospel. Paul says, you brought the gospel of your love, the good news. We are refreshed and we are encouraged because of what Timothy has brought back to us. My initial concern has been answered. My burden has been lifted. I am able to rejoice. I am so glad to see God is at work with you and that your love and faith are strong. But Paul goes on. He says, I'm also strengthened by your gratitude that you always remember us kindly. You haven't forgot us. Out of sight is not out of mind. You still think of us. Pray for us. You want to encourage us. And Paul has his concerns answered in that way. You know, there's an initial concern that Paul brings. How are you faring? Has the enemy found an inroad? Are you tempted? Are you persecuted? But there's an unspoken concern also that Paul hears answered at this point. It's, do you still think of me? Do you still love me? Do you still pray for me? Isn't that the case so often with those that are close to us? You know, so often when our children go off to another city or another state and we are only able to communicate with them through writing or perhaps through a phone call, we, we love to catch up with them, don't we? We love to have those phone calls. We love to have those contacts. But part of that is to know that they miss speaking with us, that they remember us that they're concerned with us. And that's what Paul is seeing here. He loves this church, and he is heartened by the fact that they love him. They made their affection clear to him. They longed to see Paul, he says, just as he longed to see them. They feel the same way about Paul that he feels about them, and that is a blessing that only God can bring. Notice that this relationship, this blessing, is rooted in the expansion of the gospel. All of this relationship is rooted in the gospel. If it weren't for the gospel, Paul would have never gone to Thessalonica. If it weren't for the gospel, he would not have met these people. He would not have given them the good news. He would not have spent his life for them. They would not be concerned for him. But because the gospel ties them together, they're close. Don't miss that that is the work of God. That's not a friendship. That's not a coincidence. That's not a circumstance. That's God at work. And God doesn't just do that in Bible times with Paul. 
He does that with you and me as well. Think about the relationships that you have that are strengthened and active because of the gospel. People that you know here at this church that you only would have known but for the gospel. If they wouldn't have known the Lord Jesus Christ and you wouldn't have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, you'd never have been together in this church. You wouldn't have built those dear relationships that you hold so closely, praying for one another, keeping in touch with one another, encouraging one another. That is the fruit of God's work. And because of that, we can see it has permanence. We can see it has value. So Paul's reaction to this seeing the work of God is very positive. First, in verse 7, we see that he is comforted. As he looks out at God's work in Thessalonica, he says, For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction. Now, he's not holding it back here. He doesn't say, you know, things have gotten better, and so I'm pretty much okay now. No, he says, in all of my distress, in all of my affliction, we've been comforted about you through your faith. Paul is saying to them, in the midst of my hardest times, God has relieved my burden by telling me about what he is doing in your life. Is that amazing? How God works? How he connects us together as his people? It's important for us to remember that he calls us together as a people, not as individuals, but as his family, as his people, as his church. Paul's distress and affliction melt away because of what is happening in Thessalonica. He says, for now we live if you are first standing in the Lord. He has a sure confidence. He says, now I can live, now I can go on. Because I hear what is happening in your life. I'm confident that what God is doing, He's going to keep doing. That confidence only comes when the time of trouble is past. And you could breathe that sigh of relief. I think about it this way in my mind's eye. If you are a follower of sports, perhaps you're, you follow a certain football team and you're watching the game and you're very confident and you're very excited because your team is up two touchdowns and it's late in the game. And you think things are going really well. I'm just going to relax and I'm going to sit here. And then the only problem is the opposite team goes on a drive and they score a touchdown. And they're only one score down and you say to yourself, well, that's okay. Time's starting to run out. Time's going off the clock. We've got the ball. Everything will be fine. And then your team turns the ball over. And then you say, oh, wait a minute. I wasn't ready for this. This wasn't supposed to happen. And the other team is driving down the field. And they're getting closer and closer. And you say to yourself, I don't think we're going to make it here. And then the other team fails. They lose on downs. And your team takes over. And the game isn't over yet. There's still a few minutes on the clock. But you know it's over. All that has to happen is the quarterback has to kneel down and watch the clock run out. You have an incredible confidence because even though it's not over, it really is. 
That's how we need to see the work of God. You see, we're not perfect now. We haven't obtained glory. Not everything is in our hands, but the work of God is strong and secure. It can never be foiled. It can never be rolled back. I want to tell you this now. Do not spend a moment worrying about the failure of the church of Jesus Christ. I don't care what laws are passed. I don't care what communists are in power. I don't care what wars are on the horizon. Jesus has given us a promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And so we have no fear at all. I've told you this before. In that statement, the church is not on the defensive. It is on the offense. The gates of hell are a defensive posture. And the church will rise. It will be established because Jesus will reign. Now, this is very important for us because if you're anything like me, you have times of great discouragement about the church of Christ in America today. Perhaps you even think back wistfully and say, oh, I wish it was 1948 again. Or 1928 again. Or 1898 again. When America was a Christian nation, which, by the way, was never true. But when the church at least was more visible and less under attack. But you need to understand that God has established his church here and it will not fail. Do not be discouraged. And the way you avoid discouragement is by looking around you at the work of God. Look at the joy that Paul has in verse 9. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. It's not just that he's relieved, he's positively joyous about what God is doing. He's got joy for them, he's got joy for himself. It overflows because he sees that God is at work. And he has this joy founded on good hope. We pray earnestly, night and day, that we may see you face to face. And supply what is lacking in your faith. Every day and night Paul is praying for them. And this is not, I think, a wishful prayer. Oh, I wonder if we'll ever be able to see them again. No, it is a, I know what God will do. I know he will bring us together again. And I'm going to pray all the more earnestly for it. That's how we need to look in our own lives in times of discouragement. We need to have confidence in the Lord and to take that confident mentality and bring it to God in prayer. Not because we're confident in circumstances, not because we're confident in ourselves, but because we're confident in God. And he's the one at work. Lastly, in verses 11 and following, Paul is spurred onward and upward because of seeing the work of God. He says in verse 11, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. The very first thing that Paul is encouraged by, and he wants them to be encouraged by, and to come together, is the unity that they have in Christ. It's a little way of saying it, but look at the text. Now may our God and Father, 
and our Lord Jesus Christ. Not my, not your, but ours. We're united together in this. We are both following the same Lord. Paul wants to be with them again, and he points them to their common Father. He points them to the one who has brought them together, the Lord Jesus Christ. Is this our prayer in the context of potential disunity and discouragement? Do we think about the union that we have with Christ, the unity that we have under our Father God? Paul's spurring you onward and upward to go past discouragement, to be a source of encouragement, to tell others that you are with them, your family. Then secondly, in verse 12, he says, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you. You see what Paul desires for them? He desires more love from them, but he also desires more love for them. Paul sees that to be blessed is to be loved and to love. Paul does this throughout all of his letters to all of the churches. You'll notice he never writes typically, this is what you need to do to fix your relationship with me. This is how you've wronged me. This is when you didn't listen to me. This is what you need to be thinking. This is what you need to do. No, but he does say over and over and over again, may your love abound. And may my love abound for you. And of course, this is a great solution for discouragement because love, Peter tells us, covers a multitude of sins. Love is what ties us together. Paul says, I desire to love you more. And I desire more love from you. And then thirdly and finally, he desires growth in them. Look at verse 13. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. You see what he wants them to grow in. And this is a good prayer for us in our church and in our households. He desires growth in holiness. He desires growth in the relationship with God the Father. He, re he desires growth as the last day approaches. Would that all of our churches saw that as church growth. Growth in holiness. Growth in our relationship with God. Growth in longing for the Lord Jesus Christ to return. Not growth in influence or in numbers or in dollars. Paul's given us a biblical standard for growth. And all of this spurring onward and upward takes our eyes off of our circumstances and ourselves. You can't be discouraged when you're excited about unity in Christ. You can't be discouraged when you are focused on love. You can't be discouraged when you see others around you growing in grace. That's what Paul's telling you now. I know that tomorrow, as most of you go back to work, or back to school, or back to your day, 
you're going to be bombarded by images and language designed to discourage you, to tell you that Jesus is losing the battle, that the church is old and passe, that America is undone. You know, I find it hard to believe how I, at 53 years of age, have survived so many daily events that were the end of the world if they happened. But over and over again, this happens. It's the end of the world, except it's not. Because you know, the world won't end until God determines to send the Lord Jesus Christ back to purify the world and call His people to Himself. So be of good cheer. Christ has overcome the world. He is at work in your life today. And even though circumstances can be difficult, you don't need to be discouraged. Not because life is easy, but because you know the one who holds you in the palm of his hands. Let's pray.